back with another exciting edition of Danny Frank's Walks of Life. Uh, if you've held on this long, I want to thank you for being here because there was a month uh, where things just got kind of weird and kind of serious. Didn't feel like podcasting. Uh, and I took a break. And uh, I don't blame myself for that, but I hope to keep the listenership up. There's not a lot of you guys interacting with me yet, but if you have comments, by all means, uh, feel free to let them let me know. I know there's a couple different countries for some reason oh, yeah. tuning into this podcast. Uh, I was surprised, but uh, if you are listening from France, New Zealand, uh, Guatemala, Canada, wherever, feel free to let me know what you think of the podcast so I can make changes or keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, any feedback is appreciated. And, as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. But now that I've said all that, I want to bring out our guest for today. It is the lovely, the one and only... Chica Okoro. That's right. Chica, doing? doing pretty good. How are you doing? Pretty good. It's good to see you, Danny Frank. It's good to see you as yeah. well. Chica is one of like the sweetest and best people <laughs> from the comedy scene that I've met so far. Uh, so thank you. I and I, I mean that in all seriousness. Like We were talking a little bit about this before. Um, you don't always meet the most encouraging people in pursuing oh, your yeah. dreams. And I'm happy you are not one of those people trying to tell me to quit. <laughs> I don't know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's yeah. all downhill. Yeah, it's, <laughs> no. it's a mixed bag of folks that we meet, you know, doing yeah. comedy. I think it's mostly good. Um, it's very diverse, though. And it's all kinds of people, yeah, and perspectives that you never thought. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would hate to say that there's a lot of pessimistic, insecure people. I agree. Um, I would hate to say that, but <laughs> I would agree that there are probably a lot of pessimistic negative people around this. And uh, I guess that pain attracts them to this. And you know, do I judge them? Not at all, because that's what attracted me to it mm. as well. <laughs> um, but with that in mind, so we know that you're doing comedy. Uh, yeah. Tell the listeners a little bit more about what you do during the day and your background as far as like work and stuff like that okay aside from doing comedy i'm actually a registered nurse um i actually is this the 29th today today is the 29th it's like my two-year one-month anniversary oh, as a nurse so it's congratulations like a I know, I know, let's get you a cake <laughs> i know i feel like i should celebrate something but yeah i mean so you should though because you've survived this long and whether it be comedy or nursing they're both yeah. impressive feats like that's always my goal i'm like if my patients survive and i survive my shift that's the win you yeah know? like nursing school some <laughs> classes will like pass fail and i'm like okay well this is enough for me like right. <laughs> he's still breathing i've got a pulse okay i'm gonna clock out I'm going to give report and let this be somebody else's problem. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, so did you always, what led you to become a nurse? Um, did you always think you wanted to, like, help people or care for people? Or how'd that come about? I know when I was younger, um, well, I'll start off with my mom's a nurse. Yeah. My sister's a nurse. Okay. My aunt's a nurse. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing a pattern. <laughs> you know, my cousin's a dentist, another one's a pharmacist, one's a physical therapist, my sister's in med school. So it's kind of like we have a long line of like healthcare professionals. Okay. So I know my parents, like, being, it's like Nigerian culture, like, yeah. doctor, lawyer, like, you've heard the, the spiel with a lot of like first gen Americans. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be Nigerian culture. It's exactly. just first, like, generation first generation immigrants. Like you, like, have the... you will be at the top. Yeah, like... <laughs> Or you are out of the house. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's so I know growing up when I was a kid, I wanted to be an author. I wanted to be a writer. Uh -huh. I wanted to be a doctor. And I feel like now I'm a nurse and like an aspiring comic. So it's like I've changed. You but still have, have time really, to do both. Though. Like, have I, have I changed you that might much? end up being a doctor. I know, right? right? Yeah, I'm a doctor in something, right? Yeah, there'd be worse <laughs> things to be a comedian slash doctor. <laughs> 
so definitely like family influence. But yeah. it was kind of like I started off undergrad, I studied psychology. Yeah. You know, a BA in psych, and then I have like the awkward year. Like I, kn- I always know it's gonna get a master's or a doctorate degree just because of my family and like their influence of like, okay, get a doctor or a master's at least. Like, yeah. That was the goal. And then I was like, well, what am I gonna do? I can always do. I can do anything. Dude, I listening to your parents by the <laughs> way just makes me realize like, I was probably never going to be a doctor. <laughs> like I never got those inspiring uh, things. I remember my dad taking me to see Half Baked in the theater <laughs> when I was younger. I am not a doctor. Sorry, go on. I was terrified of not yeah. being a doctor. Like after I graduated with my BA in psych, yeah. I was thought I was like the biggest failure ever. I'm like I'm just failing what? at life, and I was just constantly like in a high state of anxiety. Like I almost joined the army or like the military what? or something. Really? So, yeah. And then I kind of like oh what do I want to do? And then you know family influence like nursing was the thing that yeah. provides the most diversity. Yeah. Like, Career wise, you can work with psych, you can work case management. Um, in the hospital, like inpatient, outpatient. So is that something you really wanted, like kind of the freedom and mobility to yeah. kind of go and do what you want to do? Because I was just always like, I can do anything. I just need to pick something. Yeah. And then I pick nursing. And then, you know, they have doctoral programs where you can do the nurse anesthesia. You can mm-hmm. do psych and pee. You can do women's health, midwife. So it's like, that's why I chose that ultimately. So, I mean, is it fair to say that you always kind of wanted to like change the world a little bit? A little Does bit. Does that make sense? Like, I think that's that's always been... Like, I recognize this myself. I've always... Like, I'm obsessed with the idea of, like, having freedom. Yeah. Like, I have a lot... Like, for someone who has a lot of rules for themselves, like, I'm obsessed with the idea of, like, being a free person and, like, obtaining power to some degree to, um, like, influence other people, provide opportunities for others. Like, that's always just been something that I want to do. And Very cool. It's, I'm, still, I'm still with it. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you be? Oh, yeah. That's, like... Those are good ideals. I'm happy that you want those and not to, like, take over the world oh, and yeah. crush your enemies and, you know. Yeah, because like. I feel like at the end of the day, if I have, like, like I, I think, not to brag, but I think I've had enough financial success. Like, I've I've climbed the ladder. Like, I was a CNA. I worked at a warehouse. Yeah. Like, I've done a lot of odd jobs. Um, That's the best. So, I feel like everybody should, or the best people you meet do come from those broad backgrounds yeah. where you had to, like, cut your teeth and you worked a blue-collar job and, like, you understand from uh, like, you know, from like the working class point of view, what it means to really earn your paycheck. And like, I think that's important, especially if you're going to go into any sort of leadership. Exactly. And it's like, I knew I, not like I'm out here, like I'm not in the 1%. Like some comics think I'm like in the top 1%. I'm like, I'm a working class person. Like She did show up in a gold (laughs) Benz. I don't know. I know, right, uh, Lambo. Like I'm definitely not in the 1%. But the whole time I was making like 825. Then I got a job that's making like 925. And like you kind of get to the place where it's like, okay, money is definitely not going to be the things that make me happy. Yeah. Like, you know, like I paid off my bills and I've done like, oh, once I make this much money, I'm going to be happy. And I did it and it wasn't. Then you, make, then you keep doing that, and you're like, okay, I need true. to do something else. Like, this I, is not... I feel like enough. I've heard that, like, $70,000 is about, like, the equalizer for I've everybody. I've heard that, too. That once you start making about that, like, it doesn't really matter if you get more or less. Like, you're probably... Your happiness is going to be influenced about the same. Oh, yeah. Right? And, like, all the same, though. If anybody would like to give me $3 million, <laughs> feel free I'm to write it. Right? Yeah. No, that... Uh, that's awesome to hear though. So you were always influenced by good people that wanted you to live a good virtuous life. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. So I'm That's definitely still. appreciative, appreciative. Like not even just like my parents, but my sisters too. Yeah. Like my sister's actually, she's like a whole Olympic athlete and I'm just like, okay, well. Your sister is an Olympic athlete? She is. How did I not know that? That's <laughs> so insane. So I'm just like, okay, I'm doing free mics. 
I'm paying to get up at my. So I I'm guess that's saying. why you feel like getting a nursing job isn't adequate enough. It was like Jesus. It, it like, is like, and I recognize that about myself. Like you know, like I'm I'm actually doing pretty well. You're doing like, damn well. You know, well. like the whole comparison thing. Like I get the motivational factor of it. Like you're looking amongst other people and like, okay, I can do what they're doing, but. Yeah. Ultimately, for me, I'm just I'm happy with the lane I'm in. Like I'm making my own way. I'm making my own lane, and I'm I'm good with where I'm at. That's good. That's that's smart. I think. Yes, I think right. They do. And if you heard otherwise, fuck you. <laughs> no, um, nurses are really awesome people, for the most part. So there are there is a bit of the uh, eat your young at yeah, the beginning, I, right? <laughs> Did you get any experiences like that or see anything? I'm actually, I fucking have a million. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, there was one lady that um, when I first started, I was work. I worked ICU. It was yeah. my first job, and when I went to the interview and I saw the pay and other things, I'm like, this is probably not going to be the best opportunity. But like, oh, you know, it's ICU. You're new. Just take it. And ICU is an incredible opportunity. Yeah, so it's like, oh, you're a new nurse and you're in the IE. Just take it. Like maybe in Los Angeles they have new grad programs and yeah. stuff. But there was just this one nurse who. It was the most miserable, like, 12-hour shift anytime she was on. There were some yeah. nurses that would avoid, they just wouldn't work the days that she was working. Like, they changed their whole schedule just to there avoid. There are people <laughs> out there, too, in healthcare, just like any job, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, like, fuck up everybody's mood, but because they're friends with so-and-so or, like, they did a thing three years ago where they're untouchable now, like, they're just kind of allowed to be assholes all day. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't happen all the time. But when it does, right, like, and you see those people that, like, are just untouchable jerks, it's like, yeah, oh. I Yeah, the whole power trip thing. So hard to work with. We had a patient that was coding. Yeah. Like, this, so they have no pulse. Uh, the, code, the, the cold light was pulled, so doctors are rushing in. She was getting upset saying that I didn't pull the, co- like, the crash cart close enough. That I'm is like, such a weird thing to argue about at an inappropriate time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's literally, yeah. I'm doing CPR and you're complaining about that. Like, stuff like that is just agitating. And it's like, okay, you just hate your life and you hate mine. So I'm just gonna... When there's nurses, I feel like, when, especially when you're a new grad, they want to test your knowledge. Yeah. Even though as you continue on, you realize, like, oh, we're all kind of Googling what we don't oh, know yeah. eventually. <laughs> you know, like, there are people out there that I almost... I would be willing to bet want to make any new grad feel like scum or like they're mm-hmm. stupid. Just so, like you said, they can power trip and kind of show you the oh, way. Yeah. And well, I'm the big boss around here. So if you have any questions on how to save lives, you, mm-hmm. you tell me. It's oh like, yeah. We, we got the same training. So I, I've, I've learned like when to take my L's, you know, like sometimes yeah. you have to respect your elders. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this L just because you're over true. 60, but I know who's, I know who's running this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. It's very smart that you've clued in on that, too. <laughs> Some arguments just aren't worth winning at all. Um, it's funny. But, yeah, that's that's awesome to be able to talk to you about, like, nursing. Don't oh, yeah. get to do that all the time on here. So, I mean, with that said, if you could do it all over again, you'd probably do nursing again? Um, I think one thing, most likely not. No? I, I I never wanted to be a nurse. Like, it wasn't something that I wanted. Like, even I attended a nursing school at the University of Minnesota. I was living mm-hmm. in Illinois at the time. But it was cheaper to go to school there. And it was a fast-track program because I had a psych degree already. Yeah. And I remember, like, two days before, like, I started freaking out. I'm like, I'm in nursing school. I'm like, why did I do this? I have student loan debt. Like, I was freaking out. I'm like, did I do the right thing? What have I done? And I was just really, like, panicking. I'm like, did I make the right choice? It's kind of how I became a nurse, too, to be yeah, honest. Like yeah, like, it was just but... a lot of panic involved in it. And then after that, I said, you know what? I'm going to take this. I'm going to make the most out of it. 
Yeah. And ultimately, I don't regret my decision. But then after nursing school, or while I was in nursing school, those two days that I was like having a panic attack, I was like, I'm definitely only going to do the things I want to do. Like after this, like I'm I put the money up. I, yeah. Right, yeah. Like, cause I, <laughs> cause I know what it's like to not have motivation and to still try to do schoolwork. Yeah. And I just said after this, I'm not doing anything else I don't want to do. You know, I, I'm, I'm a capable enough person that I can figure things out. You know, so if it wouldn't have been nursing, it would have been something else. And I just wish I wasn't always motivated by fear. You know, like that is a huge realization. Failing, so. I think that a lot of people don't really come to fast enough in their life. Because mm-hmm. I've certainly, it took me a long time to realize like how much of my life was dictated and run by fear. Oh yeah, for sure too. Like, do you remember when you made that realization, or like what circumstances might have led you to realize that? Oh. That like you're living your life in fear and you got to like overcome it or let go. I think there's also a lot of pressure, like, with my parents when they came to the U.S. Yeah. And, like, my grandma can't read and write, you know, and that's only, like, two, <sighs> you know what I mean? So sad. I know, and she was, and I, I talked about it Understandable, recently. Understandable, but sad. <laughs> I talked about it recently how yeah. um, she was, like, watching CNN and, and the words were going across the screen. Yeah. And she was, like, counting like you would count with your fingers. And I asked her, like, okay, what are you doing, grandma? And she's like, oh, I'm counting the words as they go across the screen. You know, and it's like she just turned 90, like, in May. And I'm like, I wonder what that's like to just live your whole life and not having... Like, that is the ceiling. You know what I mean? Like, people talk about the glass ceiling as opposed to, like, being this, like, leadership role that we can only get up to. But for her, like, she's seeing it every single day and she can't process those words. She's always going to be disconnected to some capacity. So in terms of always just, I have to be better. Like, my, my dad was like, oh, I have a master's. You need to get a doctorate degree. So you don't want to fail your parents. Like, your parents being disappointed in you is always, like, the biggest, like, fear factor thing. And, like, even looking at my sister, I feel like I was the one that's always struggling. Like, I'm the struggle bus. How <laughs> dare you bus. not be an I Olympic know. athlete <laughs> with your petty doctoral degree? I, I don't know. So it was always you that, gotta give like, yourself credit. You don't want to be the weak link, you know? And it was, You're so not. And it's, like, that. That it. was, like, a huge fear. And, like, yeah. went to private school. Then I went to community college. And then had to pay off my student loan pay off my debt so I can get my transcripts and then I went yeah. to like back to school again so it was a lot of ups and downs and yeah and then you see people like graduating because I graduate like a year later and I'm like oh my gosh I'm such a loser I graduated but I graduated you know yeah so it's all about like that perspective and like fear does have like its place in life like fear is also good but it shouldn't always be the dominant factor right. like, there's also faith there's also this is what you can do courage you know? oh yeah walking forward in the presence of fear Amen. Yeah. Now you got to do that a lot as a nurse, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Right? You just got to, like, turn off and do it. Yeah. A lot of fucking times. Oh, yeah. COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. COVID-19 right now. Uh, Where do you work again? At a hospital currently? Like... Yeah. So do you deal with the COVID patients? I have have worked with COVID patients. Um, I work in a... I won't say which hospital exactly, but I work in a hospital in Los Angeles. And... I floated up to the COVID unit like three or four times. I haven't been in the COVID in like the last four to five weeks. But because like we do have nurses that are always there, we're short-staffed on the regular floor, mm-hmm. just like of non-COVID ICU patients. So we have like more workload. Um, but yeah, I think the first shift that I had on the COVID unit, my patient, um, he died within 30 minutes of us turning off the life support. Yeah. And the, it was really hard because oftentimes when patients pass away, you have the opportunity to have at least, I can hold their hand at bedside yeah. or family and the chaplain can come inside and they can do a prayer and they do something for the patient. But because of the 
COVID-19 and <clears throat> taking precautions, most of the time when they die, they die alone. And it's just monitors beeping, you know, like we do have the morphine and we make them comfortable, but it's just like a sad... That was, my first, way yeah. of passing that was my first time on the COVID. You know, my patient like passed away within a half hour. We turned off the life support. I'm sorry. Then you have that. to just pull yourself together because you have another patient in the next room. And I know people don't realize that. Yeah. Like, when you're in a fucking hospital demanding ranch or pain oh, yeah. pills for your headache, bitch, someone's dying in another <laughs> fucking room. My coffee's yeah, so like, hot. Oh, God, I hate That's that. That's why I can't do med surgery. Yeah, exactly. You get a lot of that. In med surge, yeah. especially if it's like older and stable patients, and like <laughs> I can't, somebody starts coding, and it's like the lights. I from know. Down the hall. My coffee's not yeah. hot. That's uh, the well, dude, you got a lot of good karma, I'm sure. I from helping, so. the, I think, I think you do. I've never seen you do anything. Well, I don't see you 24 yeah. seven, but you seem pretty cool. <laughs> seem pretty nice. I try, but it's yeah, it, it is really hard. I think. The way I would describe being yeah. a nurse during quarantine season, I keep calling it quarantine season, though it's been over like three months. It's <laughs> like, as a nurse, I feel valued, but I also feel expendable yeah. in some capacity. Yeah, like it's just, um, like good, it's a good thing that we have the same quality of care, but it's so demanding, yeah. especially now, like the lack of Have you seen a huge research, or have you seen a surge of COVID patients? I haven't, your patient, but I know that, hospital? I know surrounding hospitals around us, like UCLA, I know they've seen a surge. Yeah. And, um, there, like, I haven't experienced that. Like, I haven't seen um, too many influx of patients. Because yeah. even if they do come in, if they have mild symptoms, they're not going to be admitted. They're just going to send them home. Right. Um, if they're, like, we get the patients that are, like, ventilated, and that's what Complex, I would see. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. more critical. Yeah, it's got to be tough. Especially if you, have you bonded with any of your patients that have been critical yet? or I have. And then yeah. we actually had a patient who, so my first COVID patient that I had, um, died within like 30 minutes of turning off life support the second covid patient i had he was there for almost 50 days in icu and i was he had the bedside tracheostomy and everything and then he went oh, wow. home he went home to, after almost 50 days in the hospital from like march to end of may he was there so i think that was that was a great one because i think the moment that the day that i had him was the day that he woke up like we had them sedated um so like I talked to him like hey, like just so you know like, do you know your name your date of birth do you know where you are why you're here and do you remember when you came in and I'm like yeah you've been here for three weeks and he was like oh my gosh like he had no clue because you just all that time like being under sedation I don't yeah. even know what time it's like for them you know yeah so his eyes widened up he's like oh my daughter is pregnant I'm like oh yeah I spoke with your daughter so that one I definitely remember him that was that was a good one and he was, I think he was one of the first people that saw him once he woke up so that was pretty cool. But yeah, you know, there's, that's a success story to me for COVID-19. Like, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of deaths. There's a lot of, you know, sad things that's going on. But that was great. And then when he left, I almost cried. Almost oh, cried because, you know, I don't have a heart. No, <laughs> 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 nah, dude, you wouldn't okay. be in this profession unless you had a heart. But I realize that because you're in it, it's got to be a little bit callous. And I get it. Yeah. I mean, do, do you do anything to, like, decompress regularly or, like, for mental health? Um. 
I think turning off the news is a big yeah. one. I know people think because I'm a nurse that like I have all the facts. Like I know. Like I think I. Don't you I was, hate that when you're the representative of. I health. know, my like, guy. <laughs> you know, like, everything. I actually yeah. just stop. Like I. What happens when we die? What happens <laughs> to the electricity? What? Yeah, because I yeah, just wasn't like, watching the news. While I was working, yeah. so then I saw like the death rate was like at thirty-two thousand. Yeah. And then the next time I saw it was like at sixty. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like where <laughs> have I been? Like I've just been <laughs> turning it off because I work with COVID patients. So I don't want to hear about it when I'm off. Yeah, you know, I take no, walks, I get it. you know, you decompress, watch movies, and just kind of think about what's going on besides quarantine. I get it, and I'm glad you do, because that is a very important part of being any sort of healthcare professional, is, like, regularly scheduling yourself time to, like, disconnect, decompress, just kind of, like, process all the bullshit oh, that yeah. you've gone through and seen. Because it's, it's tough being a nurse, man, especially families aren't always understanding doctors aren't always understanding people aren't understanding in general because i explain it to someone i'm like yeah it's like being beat up for 12 hours but then you yeah. get a check and then you can go home <laughs> and then you, you kind of are like a superhero oh right? yeah like, like, you get it from everyone the doctors the managers there's the patients sometimes like we're always the go-to people dietitians rts yeah. like there's everyone that we come in contact with pharmacists uh, nurses really do run healthcare in general who run the world yeah that's right that's right biggest unions too <laughs> <laughs> all right so let, let's get a little off the heavy stuff um i do enjoy talking to you though uh so where'd you grow up i grew up in I was born in Pomona, yeah. Pomona, California, and then when I was about seven years old, I moved over to Kentucky. So I was there from the age of seven to sixteen. Completely the same. I know, <laughs> small town, Rose, Kentucky. You know, yeah. we got Billy Ray. He graduated from my high school. That's, so funny. <laughs> That's our claim to fame. Did you ever have an accent? I don't think so. like people like. That's funny that you say that because. Um, people always, like, I guess I speak English as if it's my second language. <laughs> it's something that I've realized. I've, I don't think it. so. Because, like, where are you from? I get that. Even from, like, patients, like, this past week. Really? Like, where are you from? Like, I, I hear something. Like, I hear an accent. Maybe there's, like, a hint of the southern drawl. Maybe it's confusing them, right? Like, and then I have, like, Nigerian parents. Whatever and, do y'all mean? Exactly. Like, like, we're throwing in y'all. No. Um, so I lived in Kentucky from, like, 7 yeah. to 16, and then I moved to suburbs of illinois like chicago land area not chicago because you can't say from chicago if you're not from chicago they take that seriously oh so tell chicago. that to everybody in the suburbs right <laughs> <Chicago> <laughs> land, yeah. suburbs of Darien, yeah. illinois and then where do you live in chicago 45 minutes south. <laughs> 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 carbondale yeah. just in case people are like you're not from chicago and then no. i went to school in minneapolis and then after that my whole family relocated here in california so i've definitely experienced like different types of cultures and people yeah um but definitely like a huge nigerian upbringing i feel like is the biggest influence that i've had wait who's the biggest influence you've had like nigerian culture oh, yeah yeah like my family my parents moving forward do you want to stay in california do you ever think about going back or um like Cal illinois is amazingly affordable to live yeah there, you know and like i think about that sometimes when i was in kentucky i was like i'm here for now like okay. I, I definitely had this feeling like okay i'm here for now it's cute and then Illinois was more, because there's a city, I need a city within like an hour. Like I like living I in the suburbs you, and going, yeah. like being, have access to go to like Los Angeles. Cause I think even living in Kentucky, people would go to like three and a half hours to like Cincinnati and buy like their prom dresses. Like, cause Is it's Cincinnati like, that close to Kentucky? I think it's like three and a half to four hours. I forget that everywhere on the East Coast is like a, a drive, like an obtainable drive. Like they, they yeah, go like, out a bit. So it's like normal crazy. to kind of drive, but... Kentucky was like, I'm here for now. Yeah. I definitely, California always feels like home. 
Like I would come back and visit family and I'm like, this, this feels like home. And now that I'm here, I'm just, I'm open to wherever. I feel you. Just kind of go with where life takes you. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm on that plan too. Although it's really hard to break away from California because there is so much going on here and it mm-hmm. is really beautiful. Like we are like 20 minutes away from the mountains right now. And we're at like this beautiful lake in kind of a, metropolitan area if mm-hmm. you call downtown Riverside that it's coming up and like yeah it's, it's just amazing the resources we have access to out here yeah and, and that's and Minneapolis is cool Minneapolis yeah. is a cool city I was there for a year and a half and and stu- one person was trying to sell it to me that I should stay there they're like you know we have really good pay here you yeah. can get a job where you want we have all the major sports sporting events come here is it like affordable to live there too or is it like yeah yeah I don't know if Prince Legacy made rent go up or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, I think the you know, jo- like, the hospital I was working at here in um, California or like in San Bernardino, I was working in Montclair. Yeah. The nurses in Minnesota were getting paid more than I was. Really? Yeah, like starting great. And that's like, you know, here has so much higher cost of living. But yeah, it's, it's a cool place to live if you like winter. And I'm yeah. not a winter fan, so. I feel yeah. Dealing with the unbearable cold is something that like I, I'm glad we don't deal with out here. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, like I went to Chicago during that polar vortex, and it's nice. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful to see like you know winter wonderland and all that. Yeah. But like when you, when you're cold and you've got blankets on, and you're still cold, and like you gotta like warm your car up for a half hour and yeah. like deal with all this extra. Mm-mm. It was cute when yeah. you had snow days. Then I'm like, oh, I have to go to work still. We're not. We're not kids <laughs> we can't anymore. do a okay. snow day. Never mind. So yeah, I'm over the snow. I'm good. I feel yeah, man. Though so. Growing up in Minneapolis, uh, do you feel connected to everything that's going on more so as far as like the Black Lives Matter protests and what happened with like George Floyd or what's going on generally? Because I, I got to break the news to everybody. She is. Oh, no. A nurse. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You're also a black woman. I'm a black person, guys. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, you couldn't tell by the voice. <laughs> sorry, guys. And the name. Because some people hear she because no. they think of like Asian or like Latino or Latinx. Clearly, we were talking about an Asian Nigerian woman <laughs> this whole time. No. Um, but I, I got to imagine being from there and just being black person in general, like seeing all this happening. It's got to have some effect on you, right? I know. When I first, because uh, I lived in, I was in Minneapolis for like a year yeah. and a half. So I was there for some time. And I I was there in 2016, 2016 to 2017. And that was right after a Flando Castile um, had happened. He was murdered and it was recorded and everything. So I was like, oh my gosh, what am I? I was like, what did I do? I'm like, did I make the right choice? And then I flew in because like a 45 minute flight, like for 30 bucks or whatever. Yeah. I flew into Minneapolis. And do you went, fly Spirit too? Oh, no. It was, uh, <laughs> Southwest. Okay. Southwest Airlines. Uh, right there with them. <laughs> right so I flew in, and then yeah. my mom was there for, like, the first day with me, and I got my stuff set up. Yeah. And then I looked around, and I'm like, wow, this is a really white state. This is yeah. the this is the widest state. I've lived in Kentucky. This is, the, this is the widest state I've been in a long time. So it was, it was kind of unsettling, like, walking yeah. around, just seeing, like, all white people all the time. And I was like, I don't know what I've done. Like, this is going to be really hard. And it was really overwhelming. Because I was in Illinois, you know, there's, like, diversity in, in like, Have Chicago. you dealt with, like, racism or anything before having come from Kentucky? or? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I've been called the N-word. I have Confederate flag. Yeah. Um, 
go back to where you came from, especially like with an African name, like a you know. At least if people yeah. don't know I'm African, they know I'm definitely not white. Like, they I feel see, you on that. I feel like, they just yeah. see the name, like, oh, this is definitely not a white person. It's almost better <laughs> that way though, too, because like I gotta write more about it. Cause I'll tell you with my own experiences, like I am a person of color. Mm-hmm. If you look at it, if I tell you about my cultural background, everything. You know, but I've got this olive skin, I guess, and light colored eyes where occasionally someone will ignore everything I've talked about and said, my history and all Mm -hmm. that, my name, and they think I'm Italian. Oh, yeah. And like (laughs) they give me a little glimpse at their secret racism. And then I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm Mexican. And And then it's just weird and awkward for both of us because I've had both experiences during my life where I've been chased by skinheads. I've been called a beaner. I've been called a wetback, told to go back where you come from. From, oh, yeah. I'm from like, L.A. County. It, it's terrible, but I think the more the more terrible thing is just being witness to like this insider racism. Some, occasionally, you know. Because even with like, people, it's like, oh, you're one of the good blacks. You yeah, know like, what, what I mean? the like, fuck does like, that like, mean? Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, like, ah, okay, like she's a fan, but is she? You know, <laughs> like, dude. Yeah, exactly. Like people have these you're not preconceived like other black notions. People, you know, like it's, it's one of those. <sighs> I know. <laughs> I think about my nephews now too, and like, because like. They're both they're both Hispanic. They're both Mexican, um, but one looks more. Uh, one's yeah. half white. One's half black. One looks more black than anything. One looks more white than anything. And I want so badly that for them to grow up in a world where they have the same opportunity and they don't have to go through the same racist bullshit that we went through or you know other people we know have gone through. Um, I'm hoping you know by the time they're older that you know it's less of an issue, but. How do you get rid of racism, right? It's yeah. been around forever, and it's it's hidden. That's the scary thing. And I, I am happy to, like, even though I haven't been out on the front lines protesting, yeah. um, just for my own, that's not my activism yeah. at this point in time. You you most likely won't see me on the front lines. I am happy that people right. are talking about it. Yeah. You know? Because I remember, like, 2012, like, recently, I even spoke about it with some other, um, some other people. Like, after Trayvon Martin... Yeah. I remember, like, I spoke out about it, and after that, I'm like, I'm never speaking out about racism ever again. That was so fucked up, too, yeah. Like, <sighs> that was something, like, for me, that was heavy. Like, that was really hard. Like, I had to log off social media, yeah. and it's not just people um, talking about racism, but it's how they talk about it. And so what casually, they choose, right? And, and like, what they choose to talk about, and then you see people like, oh, wow, I thought you were, you know, the all lives matter people, and then yeah. they're showing their they're showing their cards. And that was a I lot. I just spent all fucking day arguing with someone because I suggested that jokingly and I get that it's a serious issue but jokingly that we rename the John Wayne Airport the Mr. T flight zone experience and if you listen to what I'm saying like it's absurd and over the top there's no reason to like get all butthurt over this but it turned into like hours of arguing with someone that was like one of those all lives matter people and like trying to like talk to a brick wall about like how that's no that's those are unrelated issues like <laughs> oh yeah so i i've made it known if you're one of the all yeah. lives matter you're one of the colorblind folks like don't come over here <laughs> like i'm not I going to debate i like for me i'm not debating black lives matter like there's some people that's like well look at both sides i'm not debating black lives matter that's not a debate you know the principle is literally the minimum and yeah. you want to debate that like you haven't even entered the chat like you just got here barely you know like we're kind of at the stage of like black lives matter kind of like <laughs> like Isn't that's that crazy too like, yeah like <laughs> like I that's guess, where we are <laughs> i know and i guess it's just because like we come from a different generation i guess i don't know but the people that hold those views so tightly 
I don't know what the solution is because you can't really get through to them unless you put them in like a black person's shoes, I guess, or show them the way that life is. There's just so much for them to understand that they like don't understand. And like, uh, it's one of the things like, cause, cause I don't, cause I found myself, like I've been yeah. agitated. Like I did my first mic um, earlier, that, like a week ago, I think it was yeah. Wednesday and I got on stage. I didn't know what I was going to say, but I was just like, that's when I really re- recognized how angry I was. Um, and it's like, yes, I am happy people are talking about it and people are coming forward. But at the same time, I won't forget that it took eight minutes and 45 seconds for people to start talking about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And even is, then, it took a lot longer than that because exactly. there's no shortage of fucking cases we can go over. It, it, and and that's, that's the thing. Yeah. And that's just that's not even looking at like police brutality as an issue. That's like specifically just black incidences. Right. Like, yeah. And like it's it's where like what people were reacting to is like the most extreme form of racism like it's yeah. white man black man black man white cop murder and people so it took all of that yeah. and then also Colin Kaepernick was kneeling like in 2016 he started the kneeling. most peaceful nonviolent and, thing yeah and that's also just to show like the voice of a minority yeah. how like something so small and it's like overshadowed by everything else and like seeing how people talk about the things and it's oh well i can't support colin kaepernick because i have family who served in the military go fuck yourself that's not what he's kneeling for yeah guess who also served in the military black people and who also came back and still didn't have equal rights black people so it's like in every facet i can almost always talk about race like whether it's on doing comedy or dating and dating apps and why i don't use dating apps and like why i'm a nurse and like i can almost always talk about racism in any function of life so when people want to do the whole i don't see color and it's colorblind i feel gaslighted yeah i feel like it's deflective and it's dismissive and i don't i think it's dishonest that's a very good point i imagine a lot of black people out there feel gaslighted people yeah. of color in general those are uh, that's a whole set of issues oh, yeah. we won't even get into because uh, it'll yeah. take a, lo- a lot of time but like yeah i imagine there's a lot of people out there feeling gaslighted because their pain isn't significant in the eyes of other people you know when dis you know like I'm sure that there's pain that has led people to make incredible life decisions like becoming a nurse oh, yeah. instead of becoming an author or whatever, you know, and like there's so many people out there that think that the all lives matter thing or like supporting Trump is such a passive, harmless thing. Yeah. And they don't realize the tremendous like disrespect that these things cause symbolically. People, some people just realize like, oh, Donald Trump is racist. You just got here. Like, Central yeah, Park 5 was 1989. It's like, well, let show me like one time when he was racist. Like, what about these 50 incidents? Yeah, and it's like, that's why for me, like, for me, I as a black person, as a black woman, I do not have the emotional capacity to argue with people. You know what I mean? Because I'm a black yeah. person every single day. I don't take a day off. Like, I know for some people, they just got here and this yeah. is their activism. But for me, it's exhausting, you know, because there's the been, truth. And it's, and it's another thing yeah. to be talking about um, racism with people that you think are like your like say like a safe space, for example, you know, like talking to someone that's like a non-black person, like a guy that I was dating at a time. And even he couldn't even hold space for me. He was the one who gaslighted me and made me. Oh, well, it's because you're talking about race. That's why racism exists. And it's like stuff like that. That's like, you know what? I'm good. Like, I'm not in the space where I'm not asking for respect. I'm not begging for respect. I'm not going to ask you to respect black. Li- like, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah. going to argue with Black Lives Matter. Like, if you're not even there yet, don't bother yeah. coming over here. If you want to talk about, like, and I, it's not, I don't want to close people off because it's a learning experience. Like, this is a whole. Yeah, but it's not up to you to change it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's not up to and, any one 
group or any group, uh, any specific person to change it all. Even though there's incredible people out there that are prophetic and, you know, amazing leaders that inspire a lot. It isn't, I think the biggest thing that people aren't realizing with the whole Black Lives Matter movement is that, like, it is people made up of all different backgrounds, yeah. all different races, genders, orientations, whatever, you know, and they're all uniting for this idea of unity and fairness and equality. They're not yeah. uniting to say that black power is the only power that should it, be thank you. in power. <laughs> and that is a thing that, like, I, it bugs me. Like, people say, well, black lives matter. What about white lives? Like, no, and, and, it isn't and, about that. Exactly, and, and then that's like, why, that's why for me, I'm like, I know I'm not the person. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not. Well, again, be the too, person. just like being like the representative of health, <laughs> you don't want to be out there being the representative of black people speaking on behalf of like the hundreds of years it, th yeah. leading into this movement. You know what I mean? Like, th there's so much education. Like, yeah. there's a there's psychology behind it. Like, it's it's a deep rooted issue, and people are people just, don't even realize what microaggressions are. Yeah, microaggressions. Like, when you call me amigo. It's not because you're my buddy. <laughs> like, exactly. It's to remind me I'm Mexican or different than you're you. You're pretty usually, for a black you know? girl. You're, you're pretty for a dark skinned girl. Yeah, exactly. That shit you like, know, bugs me. Stuff like that. Like even the oh, you're articulate. Where it's like, like I, what I, are I you ramble, supposed to? Like, yeah, like, like <laughs> things like that. Like other black people will, will attest to it. Yeah. So it's definitely like people. I I don't. It's not lost to me that I love people who are coming into the conversation because we do need everyone. It's not just yeah. black people. It's not just white people. We need everyone. But at the same time, there's so much deep-rooted stuff like it's a tip of the iceberg like there's yeah. intersectionality there's the role of economics there's the role of ghettos and segregation double like, goes, consciousness look that it up. goes <laughs> on and on so like i don't have the energy or the patience to argue about like do black lives matter though no nah, fuck that no, like <laughs> i think not. you go into the better route where you're just like kicking ass and living in yeah. a great life and like hopefully one day you'll write a book that'll inspire other people yeah. My, bringing everything full circle <laughs> what i say is like being a successful black woman yeah. is an act of resistance all on its own that's so very that's true. where that's that's my activism right there let alone else. being a successful woman yeah exactly but yeah. if you didn't hear that she snapped twice <laughs> <laughs> black girl snap i'll add that back in no um no i, I think you're on a great path and i i hope going back to the writing thing just because i brought that up mm -hmm. like do you still write beyond I started, comedy like oh yeah like before like, I, I'm surprised at the stuff that I, I'm doing now on stage. Yeah. Because to me, like, the writing part is for me. Like, I write, like, I don't even try to be funny. I'm just writing for myself. Like, I, I write to reflect on my own voice, oftentimes. I'm barely getting into that. So good for you. That's advanced. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first stage. The first stage is for yeah. me writing just for my own, like, understanding my own. I want to hear my own voice. I want to hear what I'm preoccupied with. I want to see Kinda what look I'm at bothered your perception. with. Yeah, and I even gone back to, like, old journals I found online. I still talk about the same thing. Like, the big things are, like, fear and disappointment. It's something I talk about, or, like, not being good enough. I mean, isn't that all of it? Yeah, <laughs> and that's always been, like, a common yeah. theme. And then um, just putting it on stage is, like, the part two. Like, now I'm like, oh, this writing part is for me. And then now when I put it on stage, it doesn't really belong to me anymore. It's for the audience. I keep thinking about that lately, too. I've been trying to get deeper into my own writing and, like, just realizing that we almost have an obligation or responsibility to not just do dick jokes. I mean, it's up to you. <laughs> I'm not going to be out there telling you mm -hmm. how to dictate your art. But, you know, this can be a very powerful medium. And I think uh, w when you don't realize or utilize that as much as you can, it's almost doing a disservice to, like, the, you know, mm -hmm. the art form.
All the same, though, if if you're all about dick jokes, by all means, do your oh, thing. Oh yeah, you know, like that's not my thing necessarily right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will be in the future. But um, yeah, I would love to like create more meaningful work. I think too. And I uh, I admire you because you don't go for the easy jokes all the time. I've seen you. You <laughs> go for know. you go for complex issues sometimes, and 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 I've been told that, and, I'll, and I have to reflect. I'm like, I'm like, do I? And and I I see where that comes from. I feel like it's. And it'll only get better, hopefully. <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like, and comedy to me, where it's, I know earlier I was talking about like freedom, like being obsessed with being like a free, free person. And like stand-up comedy is like vulnerability, number one, and it's authenticity. Yeah. But then it's also power. Because it's like, I'm on stage When done nothing. correctly. Exactly. We're at its best. <laughs> yeah. When it's done yeah. right. So I feel like no. those are like the three things to where like, I'm always, I'm always a vulnerable person, like whether I'm on stage or off. Like, it's just part of my existence. So it's like when I first got on stage, even when I was a kid, like not even a kid, like in high school, we do presentations and I was mm-hmm. always making jokes. And like, I was always like, oh, I was the new kid in school. And like, I was, I didn't like being the new kid. I didn't want to do the new kid thing. So I used to like go in the bathroom, and like eat, like during lunch, I go to the library. Like, I just wasn't a fan of doing like the new kid in the lunchroom thing. So... But like when I'd you be didn't like, like loneliness. <laughs> I didn't want people to be no. like, "Oh, she's a new kid and she's yeah. alone. Let me be her friend." Or like, "Oh, she's a new kid." I just didn't like that. But I would be like in class and I'd be making jokes and I'd be talking about being the new kid and people would be laughing, you know. So it's like even um, I don't even know why I told. I don't know where I was going with that story, but like it always comes out. Like the thing that I'm always trying to suppress mm-hmm. ends up coming out anyway, and then it's like a freeing experience. So it's like some of the jokes that I, I've told, I'm like, I never thought I'd write this joke. I never thought I'd tell this joke. But yes, I you're told just it. getting used to being authentic. Yeah, right? and it's like if I don't do it on, like if I don't, I have to write about it. Like I don't want to talk about it, but I have to. So then now I write about it, I talk about it, and it doesn't really belong to me anymore. And now it's for the audience. So I like that piece. So the writing is like for me, that's my favorite part. More than like getting up on stage. I think for a while I, I was getting confused and trying to write for the audience, but. You bring up a really good point. You can create some really beautiful stuff that's uh, probably impacts people, and is I imagine is more long lasting uh, than you know just topical fluff or making jokes about cholos and oh, whatnot. Yeah. Like go the chica route, <laughs> go the chica route, and it's probably better for everybody. <laughs> it's funny though. Um, did you ever think that you were gonna do comedy? I always wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, like I watched like SNL, like Mad TV, and I remember like like Jamie Foxx. Like yeah. he was someone that's like always like just like goofy person on TV, like the Jamie Foxx show, and, like being funny. And me and my sister would always like riff off of each other and like do jokes. But I never thought that like oh I'm not confident enough to do comedy. I'm not funny. Like not that I wasn't funny enough, but I thought I maybe I'll do a writer's room. Maybe I'll write jokes for other people. So it was always about avoiding being on stage. Mm-hmm. Like I'll maybe I'll do a blog, maybe I'll do commentary on YouTube, you know, like trying to find another outlet that just wasn't stand up. Then I realized I'm like, no, I have to do stand up. Like no one else can tell these jokes. I have to tell these jokes. It's from your so experience. Like, yeah. yeah. So I always wanted to do it, even when I was in high school. And then like I said, nursing school happened and I'm like, Okay, you know, I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do, right? Like I went to school, I went to college, I got my degree, I'm a decent human being, I hope. And You're, now I can do what I want to I do. I can confirm. So then, then I started doing comedy. Yeah. I, yeah. That's what I wanted for myself. And your first, I think I might have been at your first night. Was it at the getaway? My first uh, night was at Worthington's. But then I like still my second. I want to say I might have been there. Second or third night. But e- either way. Like getaway. Getaway and Worthington's like my first places I went. Yeah. So Riverside was your first introduction mm-hmm. to the 
comedy scene and all that and like so far you like what you're seeing you want to keep going with it do you have any goals as far as like comedy wise that you really want to push for it i know it's tough to say with everything shut down currently right like um for me i definitely i want to find people that it's not i I don't i'm not like a i don't i've never been popular like i don't see myself being like that popular person but i think there's definitely people that will appreciate my comedy yeah and my perspective and i want what i have to say to resonate with them so i don't know what capacity i'll be like i love to have like a special and like be big time um but just having a following that um appreciates what i have to say and what i'm talking about is, is definitely it which is like a vague answer no it's okay that's uh, something you strive for build a following yeah that makes sense and that's only going to happen i think if you just keep doing what you're doing keep going out there um but you know you've got a lot of really interesting experience and a perspective that i don't think most people can uh duplicate so i think you've got that going for you and you got a really good shot Thank says you. mr hollywood over here right? I, I like, definitely, of continuing <laughs> to have a successful career no. i definitely i definitely think i've got a shot i know like in comedy we're talking about like is there a camaraderie in comedy sometimes yeah there's it's a lot a, of competition it's a weird personal journey though too yeah. i feel like a lot of it kind of what you're saying right now is discovering who you are mm-hmm. and what you want your voice to be and i didn't realize that initially but i think somebody a bear comedian had told me it would take me brian scalaro will hopefully be on this podcast soon, mm-hmm. um, told me that it takes everybody about five years to find your voice. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was full of it, but then I heard it from like five other comedians. And I just started, I don't know, five years solid, you know, is like the quantitative definitive answer, but I get it now because it takes you years of realizing like how jokes work and like, you know, what you're writing before you start to realize like how you can kind of control it and form this vision that you may have whether or not it be dick jokes or like you know global consciousness Mm -hmm. it's up to you but it does seem to take a while to figure out what it is exactly that you're doing because like when you're in comedy i don't know about how you started necessarily but you can chime in like Mm -hmm. did anybody tell you what to do or you just kind of figured out i just figured out the first time um i actually did a talent show i was the only comic And that's my first time. I never rehearsed anything. I knew what I wanted to say, and then I started freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be horrible. This is real. And then I went outside. I did really well. I think there was maybe like 400 people or something in the audience. Jesus, that was like your first time? Yeah, and I just did. um, 400? It was was like Nigerian. It was like a convention. And they're like, you can submit like video footage, like an audition, submit something. It has to be like five minutes or less. And I just did like some comedy off the top because I was working that night. I'm like, I have to send it now, or I'm just not going to do it. So then I sent it in, and then they responded like weeks. So they're like, okay, you can be in the show. And then I'm like, yes, they think I'm funny, so I must be funny. But then I'm like, oh, my gosh, maybe no one else signed up, and they just feel bad for me. They're going to throw me on the show, and I'm going to bomb on stage. And so then I'm like, okay, now I have to do it. So then I went out, I did the show, and then I'm like, okay. But I didn't know anything about writing jokes and, like, joke formula and all that. I still don't really. I just kind of – Yeah, time. I just kind of go with whatever, whatever I want to say. I think you're probably going about it, like, the most – Authentic, or the uh, the realist way though, because there's a lot of comedians out there that swear that you you only get worse or your you know style will get impacted by reading too many books and stuff like that. And I mean, you know what you like, you'll probably mm-hmm. figure it out. Yeah, and I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that part. The, the puzzle or yeah. problem solving aspect. I guess. Oh yeah, the getting the getting to the jokes. I never know until like okay, once I've made the point of what I'm trying to say, then I'm like okay, now I have the punchline. 
I, the way you go about things, I feel like is very methodical. And there's something like you were the first person too that ever got me realize real. And this is something that I personally still need to work on. But enunciating is such an important oh, yeah. part oh, of stand up. If people literally me. don't know what the fuck you're saying, oh yeah, they don't know what the fuck you're saying. <laughs> like, yeah. And and that's one. And that's yeah, the like, thing. Cause it's like even if I, cause I know I talk really fast, and people are like, oh my gosh, you talk so fast. I'm sure it's, it's, it's a lifelong thing. Way, yeah. And I was a kid, like I was the type of person who never spoke in class. Like I just would avoid really? talking. Yeah, I never so. spoke in class. Like they thought, I think they thought I had autism or something when I was a kid. <laughs> like I'm no joke. I had like a little. I have a joke about it, so you can catch me at my next show. You can hear the joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have a joke about it, and I never. This is, so that what you're seeing me now is like me talking as confidently as I can after not talking for like all through like being a kid in school and yeah. whatnot. So yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's oh, a work in progress. I'm glad you saved it up for now, man. Cause it sounds like you got a lot of interesting stuff to say. <laughs> you examine the, the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> took a, took inventory of what's going on. No. Uh, so outside of comedy, do you do any, uh, do you have any hobbies or anything? I would say just like trying to get back into working out. Yeah. Like I was always running track, softball. I did cross country, volleyball, play basketball. Not that I was on the roster. I wouldn't say I was like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal or anything, but I was on the roster. She's no <laughs> Olympic athlete, but <laughs> I guess she's all right. No. Like, you know, I was like, well, I was on the team. I was no. a, I was in the, Were so, you on the Olympic team too? Oh, no, just in my dreams. I was like, geez. I was a fan. I like, I'd watch from the. feel so untalented sitting oh, no. on the other end of this bench. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no. I, I, I wish. But just. That's one of the things that I was lacking because I'm like, oh, I used to always be like more athletic and involved. I used to do like the Tybo workout DVDs as a kid. So oh, trying to get back in. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> one more push. Go. Yeah. Hey. So, yeah, Bring just that knee out. No. Yeah, and, and doing hair yeah. is also like a passion of mine. Like, I yeah. mean, all black girls know I do hair. I mean, it's not like a, you know, we have is to Is that learn. a fact? It, it's not a fact, I mean, but I it's, don't it's think as a result uh, of um, exclusion, which can go back to uh, racial, racism. There is a documentary by Chris Brock, I believe, called Good Hair. Yeah. That would talk about this very exact thing. Mm-hmm. I guess that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I killed the energy by okay. imitating Billy Blanks, telling <laughs> you to put a knee too high. Makes sense, though. So beyond that, is there anything else you think you'd want to be doing? Uh, like, would, is there any party that would want to do hair or anything one day? I would like to like just build up as a skill. Like there's yeah. some classes that you can pay for. I just never, you know, put the money up and like I was always chasing like career stuff. So I'm like, okay, now I have my job. I feel pretty secure where I'm at. So then yeah, putting more effort into like as a person. Yeah, comedy is like my main thing. Comedy and writing and like another goal is like I want to be in a writer's room. Like I like to yeah. collaborate with other people and like, create something great, you know, cuz I feel like like when you have somebody else add something and then it makes it so much better than whatever I would have came up with on my own. So I think being in a writer's room is something I w- definitely want to do. And then just also I like to get into more like community, um, like advocacy and like, that's like the phase two. Like now I'm all about Chica and like my own success and like me just Step two it. is rebuild the step world, two right? Is <laughs> community <laughs> activism. And I like to play an instrument. I've, I don't, yeah. I've never played anything. Nothing? I have none. What would you play if you could play something? I always wanted to play the drums and the saxophone. Is it I good? Know. Saxophone is amazing because I'm going to butcher this, but I believe it is an instrument that is the closest to the human voice. Uh, you probably possible. know more than I do. I know you're like a music. I was into a little. I was into a little bit you're of music, music but not so much anymore. I need to really pick that up again. 
I feel like I see people out there playing guitar on stage. Mm-hmm. And when I first started comedy, so many people told me that guitar comics were hacks and like <laughs> I should never bring a guitar on stage unless I was really good at comedy first. Mm-hmm. So like I never even like experimented. Now I see people up there so free and I'm like you need to come up with like a guitar playing character and just like once go out there and do it or something. Find a way to incorporate it. Because I feel like I never play anymore. And like, then when I do play, I'll like somehow impress somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I guess you're not t- terrible. Oh, why did you stop? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're kind of running out of time. So okay. uh, I'm just going to ask you a couple more questions. But I want to thank you for coming out here and doing this. No, I appreciate it. It's been very it. insightful. I think everybody's going to enjoy this. Uh, make sure to follow Chica at uh, Hey Cheek. Yeah, Cheek underscore 911. So C-H-E-E-K underscore 911. All right. Heard to hear first. All right. Um, so if you could go back in time and tell your younger self a bit of wisdom, something to help them move along in life, uh, is there anything that comes to mind that you would say? Oh, young Cheek. What would yeah. I tell her? Um Just realizing that you need to believe in yourself more. Like, like you love yourself enough to give yourself a chance. You know, like I felt, I, like I've always spent so much time and effort just, like I feel like I'm overcompensating. Like I'm always, like the idea of I have to be twice as good to get common respect that everybody else gets. And I felt like, now I realize that's kind of like a toxic thing to have. And just knowing that just to love yourself enough to give yourself a chance to do things that you want to do. And like, yeah, like my voice has to be like the most powerful because it's the one I listen to most of the time. And I just wish I would have given myself that confidence and the affirmation that I needed then instead of like looking for it elsewhere. So yeah, that's, that's always been my big thing. It's like self-love, empower yourself, empower your voice. It's everything. You know, especially like when, especially self-love when you don't want to love yourself is the most important thing for anyone very true that can go for everybody that just listens oh yeah so just love yourself enough to give yourself a chance is what i would say without in mind is there any advice you think you'd give to the world at large um i would say lead with compassion because then there's room for like understanding like aside from judgment like there's some people i'm like why this this guy's gone off the rails like (laughs) i was like talking to someone and i'm like okay wait a minute they have a different background, different upbringing, different past traumas. So, like, you make space for, like, human error. Like, I know talking with some white people, they're not going to get every single thing right about racism. And so I leave space for human error because then there's room for me to understand them better. And it moves the dialogue forward. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, yeah. I feel like if most people were to just smoke a joint and talk to each other, you'd realize, like, oh, all this arguing, everybody pretty much wants the same mm-hmm. thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, everybody just wants equal fair share of their resources that we have you know to be distributed to them and they want the same opportunities to succeed as anybody else oh yeah and i think that's universal regardless of your background and yet you know all these political organizations kind of get in the way of us realizing that because people feel like an affinity to one thing or the other mm-hmm. it's like just talk to people yeah whether you're black white asian mexican whatever you all probably just want to do your best and have a decent life amen right all right. Well, I'll get off my soapbox too. With that, uh, do you have any closing words? Any favorite quotes, books, anything that you want people to go check out? Anything you might want to promote? I would say check out 
I guess just in the, in the, for the sake of like the Black Lives Matter, it's just something that's on my mind right now. Check out some documents like the Thirteenth by Ava, Ava DuVernay. Very fucking um, good. The Central Park Five, um, like the Tulsa race riots, like any anything else that's not that's probably different from what you'd normally watch or normally look at. Like there's a lot of great context. I saw that there was like the help. The movie The Help was like what was trending on like Netflix. You probably don't want to watch that. <laughs> yeah, one. you probably don't want to <laughs> yeah, watch like, that. Like there's there's other there's better stuff out there. Yeah, yeah setting so, better example. Like and like taking the time because right now I'm I'm listening to like the Malcolm X, um, his documentary. Yeah. And there's there's various rights people who I think there's people that really do want to understand like what's going on and the depth of the conversation. So like just look up something that's different from what you normally would like if you're on fox news and that's where you get like there's other things you know yeah, I mean? and there's an interesting documentary um not to say that fox news is the only biased source <laughs> yeah like but if you watch this specific documentary called outfoxed on youtube for mm-hmm. free it will show you a bunch of former fox employees admitting that they were forced to only promote certain ideas and that they left and were censored and really interesting outfoxed check yeah. that out yeah, I yeah. appreciate I appreciate stuff like that. Like it's it's, it's always it feels really great to see like my own voice mm-hmm. validated. I'm like, oh yeah, they said exactly how I feel. I could it never. It wasn't just a feeling I had. Yeah, right? like yeah. it's it's always nice to see like that articulated in a way that I could never do that. So I definitely appreciate like just check out some black writers, some black arth- authors. Um, I would appreciate. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. I feel like I'm rambling now at this point. Uh, welcome to my world. No, you're not <laughs> at all. All right. Well, thank you very much, Chica. And before we go, um, I asked you to please pick one song that's very special or meaningful to you uh, for everybody out there to go look up. Anything come to mind? Um, this, well, the song that I've been playing most often now, um, I did listen to some like Nina Simone, Misunderstood. Nina Simone. Then also just for like my Nigerian folks, you know, to represent. There's a song called Case mm-hmm. by Tenny. It's like it's like a it's a good feel song. Spell it out. Case like catch a case like C A S E. C A S E. And the the writer's name is Tenny, T E N I. So it's just like it's just like a feel good song. Like that's right. the song. Like when I feel up or down, I still play it. All so right. Case by Tenny. Check it out, you guys. Get some Afro beats on your you know playlist. Why not? It's actually pretty good. You might be really into Afro beat. I think it's a check song it that out. you asked me about, so I think you you probably liked it too. Might. It doesn't come to mind immediately. But I'm going to definitely look it up now, as you guys should, too. All right. Well, Chica Okoro, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you, Danny Frank. You're very welcome. Uh, We are here in Fairmont Park. Hopefully we won't get kicked out soon. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I look forward to being out there on the stage with you again soon when everything is safe and opens up. I'll see you there. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye, guys.